Okay, Marius Kush, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, so how are you doing? What's going on this weekend? I'm doing great. Uh, living the life over here in San Diego. It's, it's an amazing place to be. Um, we're coming down with practice a little bit as uh, I'm approaching the uh, Olympic trial meet. Um, so, yeah, everything's going very well. Yes, you're out there training with David Marsh and uh, Team Elite in San Diego. When did you actually make the move out there? Um, I moved here last May after my uh, college graduation. Um, I knew right away that I wanted to train with uh, David and Team Elite after. So I just waited to finish my degree and then I moved here a week after. Now you're kind of a relatively unknown in the in the big world of swimming. I mean, uh, I'm sure a lot of Europeans know you, but maybe not a, a, as many Americans might be as familiar with you. You chose a different route than most superstar athletes coming into college. You ended up going to Queens College, which is Division th- Three, right? Was it Division Two? Division Two. Division Two. So why did you pick Division Two over Division One? So honestly, it wasn't my first choice. Um, I had a lot of friends already going to college in America, and I knew that that, that, that was something I also wanted to pursue. Um, my top choices in the end were actually, uh, or my top choice was Louisville. Um, due to eligibility reasons, the uh, Division One wouldn't work out for me. So I only had the choice of going to Division Two. And funny enough, the uh, head coach from Louisville, Arthur Albiero, was really, really great friends with the head coach from Queens University. He forwarded me. And then my uh, coach from Queens, Jeff Dactyl, he was, he was thrilled to have me on board. Uh, yeah, that's how it worked out. Oh, that's really nice how a Division One coach would pass you on to a Division Two coach to ensure that you're still able to come out here and get a college education and compete. That's, that's a pretty cool thing. I hadn't necessarily heard much of that going on, so... That's cool. Yeah, I really appreciated that. That's why I had a good feeling with uh, going with Louisville right away because uh, the coaches there seemed very, very nice and caring about the person. And it turned out that's what they actually were about. So coming into college, coming out of Germany, you, uh, what are you? What, what are you good at? What are you, what, what's your events? So my events were uh, 100 butterfly, 100 freestyle. I knew I had a pretty fair aerobic base um, as in most European countries we usually call about uh, we usually talk about the uh, yardage garbage practice so I knew I had a pretty good base um, and coming into college we uh, I was shocked in the beginning how how more intense the practice was um, we would not swim as many uh, yards just slow but there was a lot fast stuff going on all the time in uh, in fact I actually could not finish my very first practice <laughs> oh, <laughs> made wow. it halfway through <laughs> really so just a lot of racing so Jeff Dugda was your head coach and was he also your primary coach yes he was my primary coach uh, for the first two years um, that's when I trained with mid-distance and then for my senior year in college uh, we decided for me to go on to sprint and that's when I trained with uh, John Long the other uh, assistant coach the sprint coach okay now how was it how was your experience in division two did you enjoy it Oh, it was amazing. Um, I'm not gonna lie. If I would have the chance to do it all over again, there's there's nothing I would there's nothing I would change. Um, it was perfectly tailored to my needs. Um, I loved the program. The coaches were great. I also had a pretty cool opportunity when I uh, first got there. 
I didn't even know going to Queens, but uh, back then, Coach David Marsh was based in Charlotte with Team Elite. And so um, they would practice at different pools and after our times. But sometimes I stayed longer, observed them, watched them, and then eventually I was allowed to swim maybe like once or twice a week with them. But I absolutely I loved the school. It was, it was great. Wow. What, what did you end up studying there? Uh, finance. That was my major. Okay, great. And and you got your degree. When did you actually graduate? Uh, last uh, last May, so uh, in uh, yeah, 2019. 2019. Okay, so you're a year out of the Olympics, and then you make the decision to say, "Well, I want to put everything I can into maybe getting on the podium at the Olympics." So you decide then to move out to San Diego. Exactly. I uh, I knew I could trust David. Um, my coach Jeff Doctor has worked with him back in Auburn for a long time, um, and yeah, he, it, it was just it was just the smartest move for me to do. I also wanted to see something new. Uh, throughout my whole life, I've been doing a lot of um, location changes, and it just felt right. Yeah. So I haven't had a great deal to do with you. Just uh, recently, probably within the last twelve months, I've got to know you well, and. And I came and spent some time with you last year and, and Team Elite, and they were doing some great things, and, and you, were, you were on a good path. But <clears throat> I told you this last time I came out, which was a few weeks ago, to work with Team Elite and David. And uh, the first thing I noticed was that you had made changes and really positive changes. And you know, for me, swimming is about levels. You know, there's a certain level. At each level, you're you're competitive at. You know, so at the bottom level, you're competitive with all the people at the bottom, and then each level above that, you kind of have to take the next steps forward, and to get to the next level. And each step requires certain discipline and certain requirements and certain um, improvements. And I can tell from the time that I saw you last year to the time that I saw you this year. You have taken the step between the level of being a contender at the Olympics to really, you know, just a, a player at the Olympics to being a contender. You know, you've put yourself in medal contention. I don't think a lot of people would fully realize that about you right now, that you are in the mix in this 100 butterfly, my friend. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> So what is it? Talk to us. Like, what, if, what are the changes you think you've made within maybe the last 12 months from deciding to become a professional athlete uh, to, to where you are today? I think it's a, it's a lot of things coming together. Um, when I started training with David, I wasn't really used to the workload. Um, the overall workload was much, much, much higher than what I was used to doing at Queen's. So when I first came out here, my body was literally in shock. It was tough for me to get through the practices sometimes it was just to go to finish practice so i wasn't mainly concerned about hitting any splits hitting any times focusing a whole lot on uh, my technique and so i think that's something that really changed also um, in the beginning i still trained with mid distance and i think that gave me a good base leading up to the olympics and now that we're in like the final push um, and i've been joining spring group i think that just really helped a lot and other than that it's just really being in the right place with your mind just being confident relying on the work you've been putting in um outside you know of trying to do a lot of things right um doing i don't know podcast or like listening to podcasts motiv doing motivational stuff 
um, caring more about nutrition, uh, worrying about the power of sleep and all of these things. And I think it's also the, the, the final year or the, the final push leading up to the Olympics. I think that's when also you need to shift into a different gear. That's really when you have to pick it up, pick it up way, way more and just, you know, give it, give it everything you have. Nice. So let's dig into that a little bit then. So um, what are some shifts that you think you make have made on a daily basis that you can explain to us? Like somebody that doesn't understand what a shift is or how to make a shift. Talk to me about maybe some of the decisions you've made, some of the shifts you've made. Yeah, um, it's really, it always sounds very easy, but it's a lot of small things, doing a lot of small things, right? And having those adding up. That's, that's really what it is. Everyone always tries to like look for this one big solution, but it's really just a lot of tiny steps bringing, bringing you ultimately to this one goal. So for example, um, I started uh, worrying more about my sleep. I didn't really feel recovered a whole lot of time. Um, so now like I've been trying to, you know, schedule my sleep that I get at least eight to nine hours every single night. Um, I've been caring more about nutrition, trying to eat the right things, hitting my calories. I've been struggling with maintaining my weight putting on weight and so we've been working with nutritionists seeing where i can improve that and then in the water just being very detail oriented i've been working a lot a lot on my strokes if that's butterfly or freestyle and really caring about these small tiny little details that in the beginning you think will not make a big difference but once you're being able to apply that in the water you actually feel that you're moving way more efficient through the water rather than working against it. Um, and just, you know, just, I love being out here in San Diego. I've always been someone who loves to be close by the beach, um, enjoying like the outdoors. And I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. Very, very grateful uh, being able to train with coach David Marsh, having uh, the team atmosphere that we're having uh, going on right now. And then I also love, his way of coaching. David is definitely a very, very big contributor of me uh, being able to show this performance right now. Mm, nice. I love all that stuff you talked about there. And I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about things that I'd like to talk more about. Um, so let's start with each one of those points. The, the quality of your sleep, like you said, is very important. And, and it's not just about clocking hours of sleep necessarily i think that that is part of it but how do you improve the quality of your sleep um so it's funny because i actually were i was looking into ways of trying to improve that and um i've seen like a little podcast edition of lebron james talking about it and he was talking about how um his sleep is scheduled it isn't just something that is going to happen every single day um, throughout a different time, he talked about how he would schedule that. And so I try to apply that to me as well. So just, you know, like trying to put the phone away for the last 45 minutes to an hour, getting rid of any screens, um, just laying down, maybe reading a book and really letting your body uh, recover and just rest. And like everyone is looking on their phones, checking social media. And it's just really hard to fall asleep if you try to hit like a specific time. Let's say you want to go to bed by nine and then you put your phone away at 8.50 and a lot of people, at least that's for me, um, my brain is constantly thinking and processing information that I've been seeing. So just putting the phone away, um, shutting, shutting everything down and just relaxing, and that really helps to fall asleep. And I can tell a massive difference once I started doing that and actually getting my eight, nine, 
however much my body needs. Because when I have to wake up at 6.30, most of the times I don't even need an alarm. I can just let my body wake up naturally, which makes a very, very big difference if you do that rather than having a little, an alarm clock waking you up every single morning. Yeah, wow, man. I love that advice. That's so key. And I think I noticed the same things in myself as, a, as an athlete that, uh, that I needed to, to put those distractions away and allow my body to come down into its sleep rather than trying to just turn a switch off and get quality that way. You know, I'd, I'd also exactly. black out my windows, you know, make sure the blinds were, were thick enough so they weren't letting light in. I'd try and uh, eliminate sound so that, you know, I didn't have huge amounts of sound going on during my, my sleep time, things like that. So I, I like all those things you talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what about the, the diet? You said you work with a nutritionist. Just I, I don't want to dig into all of it, but just tell us some key points that maybe ha have been difference makers for you. I mean, you're coming from a totally different um, environment and, and the way that you're brought up and the way that you eat in Germany is completely different to America. So you've obviously had to make some adjustments. What are those things you've adjusted? So back in Germany, I was cooking for myself every single day. Um, then going to Queens, we had a cafeteria, which was very nice because you had a lot of choice. With that, obviously, comes discipline because I can be eating very healthy every single day or you can choose to go the route of eating cookies, pizza, and fries every single day. Um, so that's something a lot of athletes struggle with. I never really struggled with that. So that was very easy for me throughout the college time. Now that I'm living on my own again, I have to cook again. Uh, luckily, I always, I always enjoyed cooking. Um, and so I've just been focusing about eating enough calories because I've been having struggles with putting on weight or just maintaining weight. And then after working with the nutritionist, we figured out I'm eating uh, three times a day for my main meal. But in between, I'm not really having any snacks or whatsoever. Just, so just making sure that I'm hitting the right amount of calories, that I'm hitting the proteins, the carbs, whatever it is that your specific body needs. Um, and just being aware, that's probably something that uh, helped me the most. Mm, yeah, well, you talk about discipline there too, and I think that's key. That In America, there's so much choice and there's so much availability, and a lot of it is times where you walk in and there is a plethora of choice. You know, you can choose to eat as much of anything that you want in a lot of these places that we go, and it comes down to discipline and making the correct choices. And then it sounds like you've also implemented times where it's necessary to eat, you know, because of the timing of the food, whether, whether it be before practice or straight after practice, things like that are important as well, right? Exactly. The, the timing is definitely a very, very big factor. I don't like training on a full stomach, so I have to work around the practices, see when I can substitute in before or right after. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of things you can do. And the beauty about it is that, Everyone is different. Everyone likes different things. So there's so much choice that you can do. It's not just this, this one-dimensional thing where you eat in the morning, you eat in the afternoon, and you eat at night. There's a lot of different things. And my motivation behind that actually came from, uh, I was following uh, Adam Petey, and he was talking a lot about his um, diet. And he's obviously been dominating uh, the sport for, for quite a while now. And I don't think that's random that he's doing that. Um, it's very systematic and detailed work and thoughts that he's putting into it. So that was something where I got thinking to myself, hmm, I can probably also improve that in a way. And yeah, that's what I did.
Nice. I, lo- I love that, that you're listening to other high performers, world-class athletes, the people at the top of their game. It doesn't matter what sport they're in, or even if they are in swimming, they're, they might be swimming a different stroke than you. But you're really listening, aren't you? You're, you're taking in a lot of information. Yeah, that's, that's been my philosophy or my mentality coming here. That's something that also David told me. Um, I think he's the prime example. I try to always be like a sponge trying to absorb as much information as I can. That doesn't mean that all these information will bring you forward or will help, but it's up to you what you make out of these things. Um, And that's exactly how David is like. I've never met a coach that has been so well-established in the sport and yet is always willing to learn. And it doesn't even matter if it's the highest uh, level athlete or coach or if it's someone who just recently started swimming and came up with a with a cool drill that he wants to show, that's uh, that's something that also David is teach, uh, teaching us every single day to just be open-minded, being aware of who's around you and how you use the resources that you that you have. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that before you mentioned it. You know, your your coach is just about to be announced, well, be be recognized into the swimming hall of fame here in a couple of months. Um, recognizes one of the greatest coaches of all time. What do you think the things that you notice, what separates him from any other coach out there? It's definitely the, the creativity that he tries to implement in his practices. And also just, he just knows how to talk to an athlete and what to do with him. Like I, I always joke or like trying to explain his thinking. It's kind of like an artist where he sees this this white board in front of him and then depending on whatever he feels like he just you know just starts painting so he he has a clear idea of how we're going to work the week but david is not anyone or not someone who writes down a saturday practice on a monday he talks to the athletes on a day-to-day basis he has a rough idea of what to do but going from there he makes adjustments he makes changes there's uh different practices different things for um you know like if you're depending on if you're a sprinter if you swim mid-distance events depending on what stroke you swim so he just really understands how to work with the athlete when to push the athlete and also listens to the athlete um i think that's just something that really really sets him apart and then also his experience yeah yeah that's a great way to put it man i couldn't have said it any better uh, and it's just little things that make a big difference with him. And like you said, he's a sponge. He's always learning. He's always listening. We actually have <clears throat> a coach's group text on um, WhatsApp and there's a, he, he, he's always adding coaches to the WhatsApp, but he's always, he's the one that's sending out information and sending out podcasts and sending out books and sending out quotes and sending out anything from all different uh, sports from around the world and different coaches and different athletes and he's always uploading stuff to that uh, group text to the coaches and it's just incredible how much information he absorbs on a daily basis exactly what what i love about that type of mentality is that once you try to apply that you start realizing that you just don't have to think swimming you can start thinking about other sports or you can even go to a professional career if you have someone who i know a motivational speaker or if you have someone who is a nutritionist or whatever. There's so many different resources you can use to help you actually swim faster rather than the, just trying to stay within the, the swim world. So that's something that's, that's pretty cool and I think very powerful. 
Yeah, and one of the other things that he does really well is he he's one of these coaches that I think has really incorporated drilling into swimming. It used to be when I was growing up, swimming was about how many laps could you get in and how much yardage could you do and how much uh, threshold and VO2 max. These were the big things. Uh, it's only been within the last 20 years and coaches like David who have really shifted the the, the way that we think about swimming and, and incorporating a lot of drilling. Why do you think drilling is important and what do you get out of drilling? So I, in my opinion, the, the sport is all about technique. Swimming is such a technical sport that, yeah, it helps if you have a little bit more muscle, but if you don't know how to move your body and those muscles effectively through the water, then uh, I don't think it's going to be a long-term uh, way of success for you. Uh, drilling is definitely very important. We've been doing a lot of technique with David. And once once you figure out your specific stroke um, and try to improve the key elements uh, and you're able to do that in a race, you actually start realizing that, wow, just by working smarter, I have been improving way much. It's, it's not necessarily always about just working harder, doing more. It's, it's a lot of times about how you do it and just being smart about it. And I think that's, that's why that is so important. So when you're drilling, what do you think the most important thing to be doing is I've got something in mind, but I want to hear from you. What do you, what's the most important thing you need to be doing while, while you're drilling? Oh, that's a, that's a trick question, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is a trick so, question. For, for me, um, I just try to be very aware of my body position in the water. I like the high elbow catch because I think the high elbow catch is part of every single stroke. It doesn't matter if you do fly back, breast or free. Um, and just, you know, like focusing on being very, very high on the water. Those were probably the, the two things that I've been focusing a lot on. Yeah. Well, I like what you said. You use the word aware. And I think that's really what it comes down to is turning your brain on during drilling so that you are aware of what's happening around you, whether whatever the skill is, whether you're using just your hips or um, you're, you're using your, your, your hands to skull or, or you're just doing some kicking or, or you're incorporating everything and you're doing a very complex drill. I think the most important thing is to turn your brain on during that time and and listen to your body and feel you can even close your eyes at times and just uh heighten the senses but i think uh what i found in swimming a lot of yardage was that my brain would just turn off and my my skill level would go down completely whereas when i was drilling i'd really have to engage my thoughts and my feelings and, and turn my brain on which would then heighten the sense of how i was feeling the water which would then obviously um you know, create this ability to really swim with uh, great technique. Oh, absolutely. And that also is, that also is draining for your head because you have to be so present. You're thinking about it that just not swimming fast is hard on you, but also thinking about it all the time, trying to do it. Sometimes uh, when you work on a specific drill and you struggle in the beginning, you can really feel after like five, 10, 15 minutes that you feel exhausted already. And that definitely helps if you keep doing it over and over again. Yeah. So what's your best time now? You're, you're shooting for the hundred butterfly primarily. Is that correct at the Olympics? Exactly. So hundred butterfly is my main event. I'll also go for the hundred freestyle, but uh, butterfly is definitely the main event. My best time right now is 51.35. 
51.35. What do you think it'll take to get on the podium in Tokyo? Probably somewhere around 50.678 would be my guess. Yes, well, here's my opinion on that, okay? 50.678 is going to put you in the conversation, okay? Yes, you're right. If you want to guarantee yourself a podium, I would start thinking that the podium is going to be 50.2 because then you remove yourself from the conversation. You never want to be in a position where you're in the conversation with the fourth place finisher at the Olympics because now now you're you're in a battle, you know, with fourth, fifth and sixth and that's not where you want to end up. Where you want to end up is first, second or third. So shift the line to thinking it's 50.2 and that removes you from the conversation of fourth, fifth and sixth and and you you create separation again. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, I'm, I'm someone I, I always that. <laughs> yeah, I'm always someone I try not to overthink times too much or go into a meet and thinking I have to be this time, I have to be that time. I mean, every athlete has a certain idea of what it takes. Yeah. For me, I always try to really execute the things that I've been working on, making sure I hit my turn, I hit my start and doing all these little details. Um, basically, you're trying to jump in and it's always the philosophy, win first, take a look at the board after. So that's, that's always how I try to approach that, that. I have a rough idea of what it takes, but I'm not trying to overthink the time because ultimately I have direct um, a direct impact on what I'm doing in my race. And if it's going to be a 50.51, 5.2, 5 5.3, there's only so much you can do. So I'm always worrying about, or not worrying, but I'm always working on my details first, executing the race, and then worry about the time after. But yeah, I like I like what you said. Yeah, and and I certainly don't want you to overthink that part of it, but it's uh, it it does go back to well, if you're fifty one three right now, that's your best time. How do you get to where you want to be? And so, what are the things that you're doing in order to maybe take another second off your best time? So what we've been doing quite a lot with uh, David recently, um, we call it efficiency, where you swim uh, for, for my distance, we swim fifties in. Uh, you have a specific goal time that you want to be hitting depending on what your overall goal time in the 100 is. And then you try to hit that goal time with a specific, a specific amount of strokes. Um, you start adding a couple of strokes in a little time in the very beginning, and then you kind of descend down to it. And so just making sure that you hit the right time with your right amount of strokes, um, that really that really helps uh, showing you where you want to be and how you have to do it. Um, I go a lot with the feeling in the water. And if you do it over and over again, it gives me a lot of confidence knowing I, I know exactly what this specific time with these many strokes should feel like hitting my right uh, race tempo. So that's something that, that has helped a lot. Okay. So do you actually count your strokes during your race? During my race, not. I count them in uh, practice sometimes. Um, even that is sometimes hard because I feel... I'm uh, focusing on too many things, but uh, I count my kicks in my races, uh, strokes not so much. So what's the race you feel that you had the best success in where you got out of the pool and you felt like, wow, that was an incredible swim. Do you remember that feeling? 
Um, yeah, I, I have that on short course and long course. Probably my best time that I've been hitting was last year in Iowa in the morning. It was very, it was an easy swim, not overthinking, just going as fast from A to B as I could. Um, and that, and then also my 100 butterfly race at short course Europeans was a race where I approached it with the exact same mindset. Um, and yeah, usually the best races you don't really remember anything because you just you just jump in and you just do it. So those two races probably for for now. So how do you take that mindset and apply that to the Olympic final when the world is watching, the cameras are there, the you know your family's there. I mean, everybody's watching, and and obviously you only get one shot every four years. So how are you going to then apply an attitude of relaxation? You know, here's the thing. I, everyone's been preparing a lot. Um, and I know that with the work that I've been putting in, that I can live with the result no matter what. I've been working as hard as I could. Uh, I've been putting on very hard, honest work um, and doing all these small things uh, along the way, right? And then also, secondly, um, I think what's very important to realize is that I don't swim for anyone else. I don't swim to impress my parents. I don't swim to impress my federation or the people in the stands or whatever. I swim because I love it. And so the only person really putting pressure on would be myself. But I also realized that doing that is not helpful at all. So it doesn't really matter if you're on the biggest stage or the smallest stage. Um, I just always try to rely on the work that I've been putting in, really realizing that with whatever's going to happen, I can live with the result because I've been doing the very best I can um, and just realizing that you're doing it for yourself and no one else. Yeah. I love that, man. Do you use visualization at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. So talk to, talk to me about that. Like when do you use it? How do you use it? And, and what are you visualizing right now? So visualizing, uh, I like doing it in the water sometimes when, uh, when you float in your back and you actually feel, feel moving a little bit in the water and then you just think about your race and imagine where you want to be and then also sometimes I find myself uh, (laughs) having these these daydreams when uh, you think about a specific need or whatever you think about going to the Olympics and where you want to be Uh, it's it's very very important in my opinion that you're being able to visualize yourself somewhere if if you cannot visualize being in the final or being at that need then I think you'll have a very, very hard time of actually going there. So visualizing, um, maybe not necessarily talking about it so much, um, but yeah, being able to see yourself in that position definitely helps. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Now, I was watching the heavyweight championship of the world last night with uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Did you watch that? No, I didn't. Oh, man, incredible. Uh, (laughs) Incredible because... You know, what I love to see is is people at their best under the most pressure at, with the highest stakes, you know. Do you like to watch other sports? And, and if so, what are, what are some of the sports you watch? Oh, yeah. Um, I love watching uh, football, like uh, European football, not American football. And I also love uh, combat sports. I love uh, watching UFC. Oh, nice. Who's your team in uh, in football or soccer, as they call it? Uh, Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich. Nice. Are they good this year? Yeah, they've been they've been doing all right. 
Yeah. Okay. Nice. And so what do you learn from soccer players when you watch them? What can you apply to your own sport? Um, well, I think uh, that for them, there's definitely the, the biggest part of them is that they work as one unit um, as there's a lot of in, a lot of individual players having to work together, being this one functioning unit. And I think that's something that I try to maybe put into our swim practices that, yes, at the end of the day, you're standing on the block by yourself, but you still want to incorporate the others. You're trying to use them as resources, treating each other on uh, and so on. So I think that that team aspect about soccer is something that you can even put into swimming. Mm, nice. And you had a chance to compete this year or last year, actually, for the um, New York Breakers, correct, with the, with the ISL. How was your experience with that? Oh, I, I like the ISL. Um, it reminded me a lot, a lot about the college system, just on like even a, a, a higher level. Um, yeah, it, was, it was fun traveling to different places. Um, racing with the team and I think it's also a great outlet for a lot of uh, Europeans or foreigners or whatever who don't have the chance to participate in college swimming because I really think that ISL gives a sweet taste of what college swimming feels like because I know a lot of people that um, would have loved to do it but either I don't know didn't in the end didn't go or would have loved to do it and so I think that's a great way for them knowing what it could be like is it something that you want to do again next year? Yeah, I think so. I know that there's definitely going to be a lot of meets throughout the whole year. I think it's a total of 12 or 13 matches. Um, probably having to figure out if I would do all or depending on the location, which ones I do. But that's something I'm definitely interested in. Oh, so how old are you now? Wait, can you say that again? How old are you? Uh, 26. 26 okay so are you intending to swim to the next olympics for now i thought about the next two years so i i just don't think that i'm done yet i i love the sport a lot i see i see a lot of improvements constantly still and as long as i'm making improvements and i'm loving the sport i i want to stay in um i don't know if it's going to be another four years for now i focus on the next two years i think that's that's something that I'm going to pursue, but uh, yeah, depending on how the season goes and everything, we'll, we'll see. How do you stay in America with uh, now that you've graduated from college? I've been working with a lawyer for the past two years, so I am on a P visa right now, which is for professional athletes. Um, that visa will keep me here until the end of 2022, and then I'm also working on my green card. Oh, nice, man. Good for you. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the way I did it. Green card and then citizenship. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of paperwork, a lot, a lot of, of headaches, a lot of money, a lot of paperwork. But uh, are you, do you see yourself living in America for a long time? Yeah, I can definitely see myself here. Um, it really depends uh, what I want to do after the Olympics. Uh, also, probably what my coach is going to do, if he's going to take time off or not, if he's staying here or not. There's a lot of things that, you know, I don't have an answer to right now. So I'm just trying to be present in the moment, thinking about now. I have a couple of options laid out that I could do, but I'm just not trying to overthink that too much. Uh, you know, just happy with where I am right now, focusing about that. And then, 
once it'll be time, I know that I have a couple options that I could pursue. Awesome. Do you think, here's, here's a tough question, do you think Caleb Dressel is beatable? Oh, absolutely. I think every athlete is uh, beatable. Um, I mean, probably the best example for that was also Usain Bolt in the, in the recent years. I mean, that guy has been in, in a different, on a different planet. He's been doing his own thing, basically. Um, and that guy was losing in the end, too. Every, everyone's beatable. Everyone can have a bad day. Um, and I think everyone has the, the potential to step up and do something that they were thinking was impossible. It's awesome, man. I love your attitude. I love the growth that I've seen in you. Yeah. What would be your recommendation for anyone else, um, you know, who's going through this, this period right now uh, of really training for the Olympics and having a goal, but um, not really knowing how it's going to end up? What's your advice to them? Um, my biggest advice would probably just be, you know, going back to what you've been doing, relying on the work that you've been putting in. That's something that helped me. I've been uh, journaling. And so, you know, every athlete has a moment of doubt or thoughts or whatever. And it always helped me going back, reading through that and knowing, all right, I'm fine. Um, but that's probably my biggest advice that you shouldn't freak out because some other things are happening around you. Uh, you have your plan. You should execute your plan. And, um, yeah, you you know what you put in. I was I always think that whatever you put in, you get out, and so that's that's really something that I've been living by. What's a book that you've read recently that you've really enjoyed? Um, there was I actually read a uh, uh, it was a German book about uh, Peer Mertesacker. He's a uh, German football player played on the national team, also played in a smaller German team. And the book is called uh, Becoming a World Champion Without Talent. He basically just talks about having a, uh, a, a very rough start, a lot of people doubting him, not thinking that he was able to achieve his dream. But just through, you know, hard work and grit and wanting it way more than everyone else around him, he was able to achieve something great, you know, becoming a world champion in football is a very big deal. And that was something that, yeah, that was the uh, last book that I read. Is that something you can relate to? Do you think you're talented? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If, uh, if I wasn't talented, I don't think I would find myself in, uh, in a group with uh, coach David Marsh. I think you need a certain amount of skill and talent uh, being able to train with him or being allowed to train with him. <laughs> yeah. How do your parents feel about you living over here, moving over here, living over here? Uh, you know, parents, my, uh, I think it's a little bit harder on my mom. Uh, my mom, you know, it's a typical mom. My dad knows what it takes to be successful. Um, but yeah, I've been, uh, it's, it's not the first time that I'm, that I'm far away. I moved out when I was 16 to pursue my dreams. Um, they're, they're very, very supportive, which makes this whole journey easier for me because I know that yes, I'm far, but, uh, I have the best parents backing me up, supporting me. And also 100% believing in what I do is, is the best thing I could be doing right now. Nice, man. I love that. Well, listen, like I said, I think you've gone to the next level and there's not many levels left after that. Uh, it's just really, you're, you're fighting for a spot on the podium, I believe. I think you're, you're doing the right things. You've got the right mindset. Um, you are very talented and you work very hard. And 
I'm excited, man. I think you're a, a dark horse. I don't think a lot of people are talking about you now, but they will be within the next coming months with, with what you're about to bust out. So listen, keep doing what you're doing. We'll follow along and uh, good luck with everything. Okay. Awesome. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me uh, on this podcast. I always enjoyed watching them. In fact, I watched every single one. <laughs> well, I appreciate that's, uh, it, man. that's a great, great thing. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Marius. Take care. Yeah, that was cool. Thank you, Brett. Bye. Bye.